Jonah uh, is a very special individual. Um, Jonah is a man who knew uh, what he believed and uh, didn't want God to change his mind. So, um, this series, as we go through the book on of Jonah, I want to look at, basically, it's uh, a lesson in obedience. Uh, it's my hope through the study that we can begin to understand what biblical obedience is uh, through seeing Jonah's mistakes. Some background of the book of Jonah. Um, Jonah is named a couple of times in the Bible. He's in 2 Kings 14.25 uh, under King Jeroboam. And uh, let's go there real quick. What was the reference? 2 Kings 14. Chapter 14 and verse 25. Uh, we'll start in verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria and reigned forty and one years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, According to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter, for there was not any shut up, nor any left, nor any helper for Israel. Um, Jonah is also named in the New Testament as Jonas. Christ uses him uh, to explain his time in the tomb, his three days and three nights, uh, Jonah's time in the whale's belly. And other than the book of Jonah, that is really the only thing we see of Jonah. So there's not a whole lot. What was the second book? Uh, the Gospels. In the New Testament? Yeah, in the New Testament. Um, I don't have that reference. Okay. I just... Um, what we need to understand is, as Jonah is going, and if you have the handout, um, you can see the timeline of where Jonah is. Jonah in Second Kings is really at the beginning of the Assyrian captivity, and then the book of Jonah happens uh, later. Uh, looks like... Why am I looking at yours? I've got it up here. Uh, looks like about 100 years later... Jonah comes in and goes to Nineveh. In 759 B.C., he goes to Nineveh and preaches against it. Now, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. It is They are the people that are oppressing uh, Israel at this point, that are the instrument of God's um, correction, his rod of reproof. My stuff went away. There we go. Um... So Israel, again, is, as we looked at in, uh, we began to look at in the book of Judges, is in the middle of that sin cycle. They're in that time where they've, they've wandered away from God. We saw that Jeroboam was, had taken them back into idolatry. And now they've been taken captive by Assyria and they're being punished. And, and Assyria was not nice. They were, uh, they were dealing very harshly with Israel. They were taking tribute from them and just uh, really 
having issues. And Jonah believed that God was going to destroy Nineveh in order to free Israel from their captivity. Um, I believe that this is a possible reason why he reacts the way he does when God tries to send him to Nineveh. Um, Jonah knew these people. He knew how they acted. He knew how they treated his own people, and he did not like them. He hated them. Um, as Christ says in the Gospels, uh, when he's talking to the lawyer, uh, or he's talking to his disciples, he's, he says, um, you know, have you ever committed murder? And they say no, and he says, but if you've hated your brother, you've committed murder in your heart already. Um, Jonah hated them with that passion. And we're going to see, uh, I, don't, I didn't tie it in today, but it's interesting that uh, in the book of Revelation, when God is writing the letter to the Laodiceans, he said, I wish that were cold or hot, but instead you're lukewarm. Um, Jonah would have been considered a very cold Christian. He would have been considered a, one that is far away from God. He believed what he wanted. He believed what he believed, but he was not willing to listen to God. And God used him. Um, it's interesting how God used him, and then later on you see uh, how God still eventually destroys Nineveh. But Jonah is not heard from again outside of this event. Uh, his time in the whale's belly obviously is pictured as is a picture of Christ's time in the tomb. But after this book, we don't hear from Jonah again himself, which I don't I don't know why, but I find interesting. There are a lot of the the minor prophets like Obadiah, who has in my Bible one page, one chapter, and we don't hear from Obadiah again. But this is such a significant little piece, and yet. We don't hear anything again. It just it, it's interesting to me. Nineveh, we're going to see, is eventually destroyed. A little over 140 years later, uh, God, God sends another prophet, Nahum, to warn them. And this time, instead of listening, they refuse. Um, the entire book of Nahum uh, speaks of is uh, God's warning again to them. So it's Jonah, Micah, and then Nahum, just a couple of pages back. But I want to read Nahum chapter 3 because it describes... Nineveh from God's perspective. And I believe that if God is describing them this way now in Nahum when he's getting ready to destroy the city, that they couldn't have been that far off in Jonah's time. Uh, they couldn't have been that much better. So, Nahum chapter 3 and verse number 1 says, Woe to the bloody city. Notice the exclamation point. You don't see very many of those in the Bible, but when you do, it's important. It is all full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not. The noise of a whip and the noise of the rattling of the wheels and of the prancing horses and of the jumping chariots. The horseman lifted, lifteth up both the bright sword and the glittering spear. And there is a multitude of slain and a great number of carcasses and there is none, none end of their corpses. They stumble upon their corpses because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot the mistress of witchcrafts that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will discover thy skirts upon thy face, and I will show the nations thy, na show the nations thy nakedness and the kingdoms thy shame. And he goes on throughout the rest of chapter 3 to describe what he's going to do to Nineveh. But I find interesting, Nineveh stumbles over their corpses. Their dead are laying in the street. They, they, they can't move around without tripping over a dead body. 
their nations are, are sold into witchcraft. This is the influence that Nineveh had on Jonah, or on, on Israel. And this is the influence that Jonah is disappointed that God wants to correct. But you see at the end of Jonah that there are some other things in play here. And we understand that it's not just Nineveh that's the issue. We understand through the whole book of Jonah that it shows God's grace and His mercy. Now remember, grace is God giving us something that we don't deserve. And mercy is God withholding something that we do deserve. So God shows His grace to Nineveh by sending a prophet, by giving them a warning that He's going to destroy them. And then when they repent, God withholds His destruction. And they don't deserve it. But we have to understand that Jonah has now gotten his orders. Jonah, in verse number, chapter 1, verse number 1, says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose, or Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah's got his orders. God says, arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city. Nineveh is thought to have had well over a million people in it at this time. Many believe that the six score thousand persons that are unable to, to discern their right from their left in Jonah chapter 4 is speaking of young children that would be roughly Naomi's age. Naomi, can you raise your right hand? Can you raise your left hand? Okay. That's my point. That's what many people believe. Six score thousand is 120,000 children. So if there's 120,000 children, obviously rabbits didn't inhabit Nineveh. But there were obviously a lot of families. There were a lot of people there. And it's this six score thousand uh, children that... God really is taking, is showing his mercy too because they don't know the difference. They don't know the error of their ways. But Jonah is told to go and cry against the city. God wants Jonah to show Nineveh its wickedness. And this is the format that Christ used. Uh, he used, as he went through, as he, he walked this earth, he went through revealing the law to people to show them how wicked they were. And this really, as we are getting ready to go do market in the park, as we go out and door knock, as we meet people, uh, wherever we are, we need to understand that if we're going to be a witness, it's not us telling somebody that they're wicked. It's not us telling somebody that they're evil. It's us holding up the mirror of the law and revealing to them in their own hearts how they are, what their position is. So that then we can be the blessing of showing them how to remove themselves from that position. Christ allows them to see themselves, themselves through God's eyes. If we look at Matthew 23, and this is part of 
what we're going to go through when we get through the book of Judges. We're going to start going through uh, soul winning the way that Christ did it. Uh, but Matthew chapter 23, and basically the whole chapter, we won't read all of it because it just repeats itself. But Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works. For they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge their border, the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the market and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. Call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself or he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Verse number thirteen But woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. In Luke chapter 18, Christ again is speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. and uh, Actually, I think this time he's speaking to a lawyer. Luke chapter 18 and verse number 18 says, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, Sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, and he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter the kingdom of God? And then in Galatians uh, 3, verses 24 and 25, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye all are the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So we understand that Christ used the law. He, he told the lawyer or the ruler, do all these things. Don't bear false witness. Don't kill. Don't do all these things. And the man says, this have I done. I've done. I've kept all the commandments. All the commandments. And Christ says, then sell all, distribute to the poor, and come follow me. And he went away sorrowful because he was very rich. What commandment hadn't he kept? First one. He'd made his riches a god. He also didn't keep 
the tenth one. I shall not covet thy neighbor's, or not the tenth one. No, that's lying nine is not bear false witness. Thou shalt not steal is eight. Yeah, it's the tenth one. Not to covet. He was he, he desired his riches more than he desired anything else. That was his one goal in life was to become rich. Jonah was to go to Nineveh in this way. Jonah was to go to them and show them through God's eyes their position. But he chose not to. Our command is the same. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go ye therefore into all the world. I should have turned there first. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Christ is commanding us to go. He's commanding us to teach, to show the world their position through God's eyes. The only way to do that in love and not be, well, we're still going to be hated, but the only way to do that in love and to help them to truly be converted is to show them themselves, to help them understand who they are. I know for me, uh, as I was growing up, I was the good child. I was the one that didn't go out and party. I was the one that my dad could rely on to be where I was supposed to be. I was the one that when I was 16 years old, I was pouring concrete uh, for the neighbor down the road. He lived a mile south of my dad's house. And I was supposed to be there at 6 in the morning. I was in his driveway every day at 4.30 in the morning, sleeping in my car, my alarm would go off at 6. I would get up and walk in. It's a mile. But I wanted to make sure that I was there on time. I was the one that my grandparents didn't have to worry about. I'm still the one my grandparents don't have to worry about. I'm the one that they come to to fix everything. And I'm not saying that to, to be prideful in myself. I'm saying that for you to understand that at that time I was prideful in myself. Because I wasn't the one that was causing problems. And yet, I still had to come to a point in my life where I understood that even though I was a career fireman and I was serving my community and I was helping those in need and I was raising my family and, and I wasn't breaking the law, you know, yeah, I sped a little bit, but I, I, I was doing morally right and just things, I still had to come to myself and understand that I was an evil, wicked sinner. <clears throat> that as James tells us, the book of James tells us that if we break one commandment, we've broken them all. We're guilty of all. I still had to understand that I was putting my own righteousness in front of God. By not believing that God existed, I was putting myself in His place and creating an idol. I had to understand that I was evil and wicked. And it wasn't that somebody could tell me how bad I was. I had to come to that understanding for myself. Each and every one of us had to come that way. We had to understand our position in Christ so that we could understand our need for salvation. So as we get ready to go to Maxwell and the Market in the Park and to do all these other things, we need to understand that that's 
the path that we need to take. And we're going to go through uh, this a little bit in Sunday school as we uh, begin training on how to witness and how to teach. But um, until somebody truly understands the need, they're not going to be able to understand how to fix it in their own lives. But that's not the end of Jonah's story. Verse number 3 says, But Jonah. But Jonah. That word but is my favorite word in the Bible. It is uh, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. That word but means there's a change. There's something different. Excuse me. It's a opposite. It's It's a word that precedes an opposite. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish, He didn't rise to obey God. He rose immediately to disobey God and to run away. Jonah was running from his responsibilities. He was running from the very presence of the Lord. And I, I believe that Jonah was doing this because of what he knew about Nineveh. And this is something that that I struggle with here. This is something that my family is going to struggle with. And this is something that we all struggle with as we look at the world. I struggle, especially after uh, being on the fire department, I struggle with compassion. I struggle with wanting to help people, wanting to be generous because I know people. Uh, you know, I struggle in dealing with my mom because I know my mom. I've known her for almost 40 years. I know how she thinks. I know how she acts. I know how she what she falls back on. I we ran into or Scotty and Christina came up to Grandpa's birthday party yesterday, and uh, they came up for the game night. And I'm glad that they're starting to come back around. But I struggle with a desire now to help them because I know what I've already done, and I know how they've reacted to it. But I can't be like Jonah. I can't give up. That's not what I'm called to do. Jonah, because he knew Nineveh, chose to let them perish. He wanted them to die. He wanted them to be destroyed. When you step on that slope, it's all downhill. Um, First, let's look at the folly in Jonah's thinking. Uh, Jonah, as he's running away... If we go to Psalm 139, we can see that Jonah is trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. And uh, we're going to see it later on in chapter 1 as he continues to run farther away and in chapter 2. But in Psalm 139 and verse number 7, the Bible says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. David here is speaking of God's presence. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. God is omniscient. He knows all. He's omnipotent. He has all power. There's no place you can go to run away from God. 
And that's that's important not just as we look at witnessing and as we look at, at obedience to God, but it's important as we understand uh, those little pet sins in our lives, those things that we think we've hidden from the rest of the world. You can't hide them from God. Um, I, this is completely off topic, but when I was 19 years old, I was uh, the lieutenant in charge of security for 3M and Ames. I worked for a company called, it started off as Pinkerton Security, the Pinkerton uh, Detective Agency, and then uh, became Securitas. It's now, it's still Securitas, but um, sitting at the front gate, I had to check in the semis as they came in. Um, I had to take off the tag, make sure the, the, the seals matched, make sure uh, to the best of my knowledge that nothing had been done with the load to mess with it so that everything got where it needed to go. And then I had to give the, the drivers permission to enter the gate. Um, really, it sounds a lot more fun than it is. It was really, really boring. Until one day, I get a driver come in. He's, it was a Schneider driver coming in from Canada. And he tells me uh, that, and, and as I'm looking at his paperwork, it says radiation detected. Oh. So when you came across the border in Canada, they scanned your truck and radiation was detected. Okay, that's a little weird. So I had to, I didn't know what to do. I'm 19 years old. I'd had the job for like three weeks. Uh, just gotten out of training. So I called inside and they said, oh yeah, that happens all the time. There's something about, it's, it's not actual radiation. It's something about something they'd hauled before or or a malfunction in the scanner or whatever. But to hide radiation or to protect against radiation, they usually put like plutonium, uh, uranium, they put it in a lead-lined box. That's why if you ever go get an x-ray, x-rays are radiation, uh, they cover whatever you're not getting x-rayed with lead so that it doesn't affect the rest of your body. Um, that vest that's really heavy is made of lead. Um, it, it's a blocker. You can't block anything from God. You can't hide it. Um, God sees it all. Whether it's day or night, whether it's here or there, whether it's just you, God sees it all. And long rabbit trail, but Jonah trying to flee from, from the presence of the Lord, trying to flee from his responsibilities... God wants to use him and God is going to use him. Now, God doesn't just pick him up by the back of the neck and put him in Nineveh. God allows circumstances into his life in order to bring him back to Nineveh. And as we see throughout the, the book, we're going to understand that Jonah didn't come all the way back. He only came part way back. But notice that in verse number 3, that he rose up to flee, he rose up to flee, and went down to Joppa, and then went down into the ship. It's like we talked about this morning. You've got that path that God wants you to walk. The straight and narrow, the narrow gate that leads to, leads to heaven. God wants you to follow that gate. He wants you to obey. He, he doesn't want you to step out of line either way. And when we start doing those small things, we start trying to hide those little pet sins and do those small things, we begin to walk out of the way. 
and we begin to depart from God. But God in His mercy brings people, brings things into our life to bring us back. But if we don't listen, it's way out there. And I do believe that at the end of this book, at the in chapter 4, as Jonah is still praying that God will kill him because he's so mad that God saved Nineveh, I believe that God did. I believe that God said, okay, you don't want to listen, you don't want to change, you're done. And we're gone. Now, I don't know. I, I think... I think we are going to be amazed at who is and who isn't in heaven when we get there. I don't see why Jonah wouldn't be as a prophet, but I also see why Jonah wouldn't be as a man. But think about this as we go through this week, as we uh, go through, don't be Jonah. Jonah uh, was a man that was completely cold to God's word. Jonah was a man that hated Nineveh so much he was willing to kill himself to not bring them to God. Don't be that person. You know, um, Penn Jillette, uh, you guys know who Penn and Teller is? Who they are? The magic act. You know, Teller doesn't talk. Penn does all the talking. There's a video out there of Penn talking about uh, a man that had come and witnessed to him after one of his shows. He was, uh, they're out in Las Vegas, they're doing the show, they had uh, a person from the audience come up and be a part of their magic trick. I think it was something with a deck of cards or whatever. They gave the guy the deck of cards after, after it. And this guy waited outside of the show uh, for Penn and Teller to come back out. And as they're coming back out, he hands Penn a Bible. And he's got, Penn says he's got like eight different ways of contacting him. His phone number, his beeper number, his email, you know, every way he can. And he says, you know, I wanted you to have this. And Penn is a famous atheist. He doesn't believe in God. Um, but Penn said he was moved by the honesty, the humility of this man. This man wasn't just trying to shove it in his face and say, you know, I know you're an atheist and, you know, you're wrong. He was out of a genuine heart of love saying, I want you to have this. And Penn goes on to say, the thing that struck me the most in the interview is Penn goes on to say, I don't know whether he's right or wrong. I don't believe what he has to say. But he was a genuine, honest man. And he said, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them? If, if what this man believed is real, if he completely believes wholeheartedly that he has the gift of life, and if we believe the same way, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them? Penn said, if I believed the way this man would, I would crawl through broken glass on my hands and knees up and down every street telling every neighbor I had about God. If I looked out today and I noticed that that house was on fire across the street, there would be no question. I'd be running across there, knocking on the door, breaking in, trying to make sure that the people were out. And that's not just because I was a fireman. It's because I know that they're in danger. 
If I see one of the kids walk out in front of a car, I'm going to do everything I can to get them out from in front of that car or to get that car to stop, as I think everyone in this room would. But we have a world that is far worse than Nineveh. I agree. It's going downhill rapidly. We have a world that hates the Lord, that doesn't know Him, that doesn't know the gift of life, and yet, and I'm just going to be honest, I am probably the guiltiest person in this room about being not willing to share it, about having to cram those feelings, those that knowledge that I have of my family, of this town, of this world, having to cram it aside and fight every bit of my flesh to hand out a track to witness. I was telling Brother Jesse that I think we saw, we've got a, a neighbor down the road, the last, the only time that we've gone out and knocked doors, as we knocked on his door, he was out in the driveway and he said, uh, you know, I'm Jewish. And, you know, we said thank you and um, I left a track in the door. But I think I saw him walking home yesterday with his kids. And uh, he's got his Bible under his arm and he's walking down the street. He made the comment about having five more houses, which would be about that house. And I kind of recognized the guy. And Rachel said, I can't believe you didn't go out and talk to him. And I was in the middle of something. I was working through something. I was trying to study. And now, why didn't I go out? Why didn't I walk out and introduce myself again? Shake his hand. So he's Jewish. He doesn't know the God that I know. If he did, he'd be here. If he did, he'd be worshiping God the way that God wants him to, wants to be worshipped instead of the traditional Jewish way. So this week, just as I've had to do for years, pray for compassion. Pray for God to open your heart and let you see the world as He sees it. Let you see the six score thousand children that don't know the difference. And in our world today, it's not just children. It's adults that are willingly ignorant that don't know.